hear now a reading from the letter to the church in Ephesus. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. The word of the Lord. Today is the epiphany of the Lord. It falls 12 days after Christmas. It is a time when we rejoice in the incarnation, the entry of the true light into the world. This is symbolized by the lighting of our Advent candles during Advent, the Christ candle on Christmas Eve, and the candles that are always lit during worship on our communion table. The wider world, as well as many of us, have long since moved past Christmas by Epiphany. Decorations have come down. People have returned to jobs. Students are going back to school. Christmas is but a dim memory as Valentine's candy is being put out on the shelves already. But the church is a persistent voice in the world and we persist in celebrating Christmas for 12 full days that only ends on Epiphany on January 6th. We have continued selling, celebrating Epiphany in the church calendar since the fourth century because we believe it is important to fully remember the visit of the wise men, the magi, to the young child, Jesus. We celebrate the incarnation, God's revelation to humanity. Christ came into the world. Christ came into our lives. And this revelation then prepared the way for another way. 
the joining of the Gentiles with God's people, Israel, as co-heirs in all the grace and goodness that was revealed in Jesus Christ. The Magi are important to us, not because they were particularly important, powerful, or distinguished in their time or culture, but because of what they represent in the story. The Magi were the outsiders, literally coming from a long distance away, so far away that it took two to three years to make the journey. They probably were not kings. They might have been foreign priests. They practiced the art of astrology as stargazers, readers of the stars, maybe even interpreters of dreams. They might have been thought a little bizarre by their culture for setting aside years of their lives to follow stars, but this very well could have been a part of their vocation, traveling from town to town to read the stars for the villagers. They followed this particular star at its rising to an unexpected place, a humble house in a small village at the home of a carpenter and his young wife. They didn't make it to the house in a straight line. Remember, they had to consult with King Herod and the chief priests and the scribes to get their bearings. Good directions were provided by the prophet Micah's words straight out of Scripture that said the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. At Epiphany, we celebrate the coming of the Incarnation with all of the others who have traveled far through Advent and Christmas, the needy, all of us who are in search for a king, and maybe like the Magi, we can remember what it is like to be an outcast and outlier and maybe just plain foolish enough to make the journey. Like the Magi, Paul did not struggle with commitment. Once he had discerned God's purpose for him and for good of the outcasts, the Gentiles in the Jewish world, he was willing to go to jail to accomplish his part in the commission of God's grace that had been given to him not to make him important, but instead to serve God's purpose. There was no hesitation of thought or action. Instead, Paul begins confidently, boldly sharing the good news of God's covenant grace for the sake of Gentiles and Jews alike, revealing plainly the lack of his qualifications as well as his sufferings for their sake, yet this doesn't stop him at all. 
I wonder if you can remember a time in your life when circumstances were so unfavorable that there seemed to be no way you could succeed. But the responsibility for others around you was so great that you knew you had to act. Maybe you were a member of a sports team or a musical group, a debate team, a mission team, when you knew your skills were lacking, but yet act you had to do. Not so much for your sake, but for others. Parents experience this when there are more questions than good answers. And grandparents are also tasked with being strong yet compassionate voices of mediation between the generations. Maybe you've been asked to head a committee at church or lead the prayer and devotion and you knew exactly who you were sitting next to, who you thought could do it so much better. But it was responsibility for you at that moment. Tasks like these taken on for the good of others are not easy. Sometimes the script is handed to you, but it is more common that the awareness of the need for your particular action comes slowly and over time is revealed through conversations and observation and maybe a lot of prayer on your part. It includes your hesitation and recognition of your lack of discernible skills for the task. Yet still you are the one tasked, not for yourself, but instead for the good of others that are in your realm of responsibility. In this passage in Ephesians, we are given a glimpse of how to live an epiphany life. Paul chose to carve out time for the holy in the midst of the busy, chaotic, overburdened world in which he lived. He chose to prepare for the birth of his possible self and God's commission of grace for others rather than settle for just living out a commission of self. He experienced the mystery of God and all its pregnant possibilities and surprising new insight, which was being revealed through the work, power, and whimsy of the Holy Spirit right in front of him. He chose to be consumed by the life of boldness and confidence made possible through faith in God and the access it gave him and us to God. He chose to believe and act as if God still had eternal mysteries to reveal right in front of him. And then he was given the willpower, wisdom, and discernment to see dimly at first and then fully to live out what he had seen and believed was the purpose through the power of the Holy Spirit in community for others. He also believed that he was not the best person or most fully accomplished one for the job in front of him, 
but he was still the one chosen and equipped step by step to carry out a commission of grace for the good of others, and he did not expect it to be easy. This is the epiphany life. It believes in mysteries that are bigger than our holy imagination can conceive. It is lived for the good of others, which paradoxically means it is for our good too. It is not just a one-day event or a one-time epiphany, but a lifetime of calling and surprises experienced around every corner because this is the God we serve, a God of epiphany, the God of one true light that calls us to the light, that calls us to lay down our arrogance and pride, to admit, admit that we don't have it all together, and are anxious so much of the time that we don't have very much together at all. An epiphany life surprises us with joy and enough foolish imagination to lay down our hesitations and live for the others around us that God loves and wants to listen to and make heirs of the good news of the gospel. This morning, we will ordain and install our incoming elders and deacons. They are the ones who said yes to the calls from the nominating committee, and they are the ones who might have been surprised at the call made to them, yet still they said yes. Yes to serving God through serving you and the world for God's sake. But, of course, they are not the only ones. Through our baptism, we are all ordained to the priesthood of all believers, and we have the opportunity to live boldly and confidence through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the same opportunity to be surprised by joy by the eternal mysteries of God that Paul did, mysteries that remind us that God the creator is not through creating. And this means there is a constant dying to the thoughts that we can't do something in order to be surprised by what we can do in service to Christ and in community. We serve a God that is not finished creating. This is a God that deals in incarnation and epiphany and the true light for the world. And when we exhibit unity, different races, classes, genders, continuum of beliefs, we help put on magnificent display. The mystery of God who comes for us dwells in us and brings all of creation into unity for the good of all God's people. How can we live the epiphany life? Amen.